The views and opinions of this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Well, we saw another day of consolidation and position squaring on Thursday in the markets ahead of Friday's big data dump from USDA. We're going to talk about it here on Market Talk today. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Always good to have you along for the conversation as we take a look at what is happening in the commodity markets and the livestock trade and issues impacting rural America Coming up on today's show, we're going to get thoughts and perspective analysis from Brian Doherty, Senior Market Advisor at Total Farm Marketing. Always uh, appreciate a conversation with Brian each and every week here on the show, and we're going to have him join us to give us his perspective ahead of the USDA report, some risk management things to remember and so uh, looking forward to that discussion coming up here later in the show. Brian will join us after uh, the bottom of the hour in segment three and four to discuss here today. So looking forward to a great conversation with Brian Doherty later on in the program. We're also going to take a look at some news headlines. we got really frigid temperatures moving into the uh, country here as we head towards the weekend. And that has got to be some concern for beef cattle producers. they got to be on edge. We're going to get some tips on fighting the frigid weather conditions with our cattle herds from University of Illinois Extension beef cattle educator Teresa Steckler. We're going to talk a little bit more about some of the uh, issues surrounding foreign ownership of farmland. A new poll out from AgriPulse says farmers supporting Donald Trump with the Iowa caucuses uh, here just around the corner. We're going to take a look at news headlines coming up here in segment two today. So that is on the way here in just a little bit on the program. Now, we got uh, weekly export sales numbers were out on Thursday morning. Uh, low export sales, but active shipments were seen. Not really a surprise uh, with another holiday week as uh, we saw 19.2 million bushels of corn, 10.3 million bushels of soybeans, and 4.7 million bushels of wheat. All sales were for delivery in the 23-24 marketing year. That was for the week ended January 4th. So again, Covering the New Year's holiday, not a surprise, but I know a lot of folks could be looking for hopefully a big rebound in export sales as we get into the uh, next week of reporting. Now, we did get a flash sale, finally. Haven't had one of those in a while here. Uh, we got one of those Thursday morning. It was corn to Mexico. So, uh, you know, Mexico, regular trading partner for corn for the U.S. So, not a huge surprising export sale, but nonetheless, a flash sale. 175,000 metric tons of corn to Mexico for delivery during the 23 24 marketing year. So, a couple notes there, but largely markets just kind of squaring things up ahead of the USDA reports out on Friday. We saw some selling pressure on the day in wheat, soybeans a little bit higher, corn largely kind of caught in the middle uh, with stocks and energy somewhat quiet, a little bit hotter than expected to CPI data, consumer price index data came out Thursday morning. And the livestock trade, kind of a mixed bag with cattle pushing higher. We talk about all that and more with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX. He joined me for a conversation in Thursday's midday commentary. And we start with a look at what he's seeing in the grain trade on the day Thursday. 
Yeah, it's really consolidating ahead of the big data dump from USDA expected tomorrow. And that's because there's just so much data in there that your risks of a surprise are rather high. And, you know, you don't never know which direction those risks might be. Uh, a lot of the soybean shorts that we see or people uh, manage money that put on short or sold positions in soybeans is relatively new. And so they're not willing to risk those short positions that they just kind of put on. Uh, for a bullish surprise, particularly with the soybean market um, balance sheet being a little bit tighter, quite a bit tighter than the other commodities. So we are seeing a little bit of short covering there, uh, a little bit of bottom picking since we've so far pretty much held the the low of the past week, but nothing significant. Corn and wheat generally seeing that weaker bias overall that we're seeing in the complex that can kind of concept is continuing not a lot of enthusiasm overall as we head into the report broader inflation data out thursday morning cpi numbers consumer price index a little bit hotter than analyst expectations uh break those numbers down for us arlen what did you see there yeah i'll give you the good news first that was at the core cpi that removes uh uh energy and food prices it actually ticked to lower to 3.9%. That's the first time we that measurement's been below 4% in quite some time, moving in the right direction. But when you look at the headline inflation, it looks takes everything into account. It came in hotter than expected and hotter than what we were the previous month. Headline CPI up three-tenths of a percent month on month. Uh, and uh, when we look at overall year-on-year, year, it was up 3.4%. Uh, beating expectations that we'd be up 3.2%. We were at 3.1% last month. So moving in the wrong direction. If you start to break that down, we did see that fuel oil was down 5.5% month on month. While natural gas prices that going into the home fell four tenths of a percent. So it makes you wonder what would have happened to these inflation numbers if those numbers had been going up. Gasoline prices were up two tenths of a percent generally concerning to see significant gains in other items like motor vehicle insurance up one and a half percent on the month also seeing airfares continuing to rise at a rapid pace hospital services shelter costs also up a half percent shelter has been one of the problems that where we've seen really sticky inflation so trade really kind of concerned here that uh, inflation may be starting to rebound over in the livestock trade, uh, we got a mixed bag cattle a little higher uh, with hogs mixed around unchanged. The export sales numbers for beef and pork out Thursday morning look to be okay. Uh, your thoughts in this protein sector ahead of the uh, reports tomorrow? Yeah, we may see USD actually bump its pork export number up tomorrow in the in the report that it does. Was the, yes, there are uh, livestock numbers in that report as well. Um, so we may see that bump up. Exports have been really good there, but the primary focus again today continues to be on weather um, with slaughter pace really being held back because of the weather. We finally have all of the plants open now um, and taking animals. We look at the past three days, daily slaughter of cattle, 104,000, 84,000, 113,000. Uh, typically, we would be closer to 126,000 per day. So cumulative slaughter this week is down about 20% from a cattle standpoint. Pork also down as well, uh, in addition to all the weight gain that has been lost for beef, 
mostly and to some extent pork as well. That's tightening up the meat supply, helping provide some support and helping provide some support for futures. And once again, that is comments and market analysis from Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX, joined us for our midday commentary on the day Thursday. All right, coming up next here on Market Talk, we're going to take a look at a few different news headlines here before we get back to a market discussion later in the show with Brian Doherty from Total Farm Marketing. We're watching, of course, the uh, issues surrounding foreign ownership of farmland in the U.S. We're going to have some comments on that. Also, with the uh, frigid weather, cold temperatures moving in, beef cattle uh, producers need to be on the outlook here for their cattle herds. We're going to get some tips from Teresa Steckler, University of Illinois Extension Beef Cattle Educator. We'll look at those stories and more coming up next year as we're back with more Market Talk on the way right after this. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. Bringing you the ag information you need. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to Market Talk. Well, one thing we are keeping a close eye on is this cold weather that has moved into parts of the country or is set to move into parts of the country here as we head through the weekend. A blast of Arctic air coming across the nation should have beef cattle producers on edge. University of Illinois Extension beef cattle educator Teresa Steckler says there are a few things that should be done to protect animals from the cold. There's a couple different things going on here. One is the fact we've had a lot of rain as of late. Hair coats may be wet, which has also led to wet ground. Um, with these frigid temperatures that are coming, we really need to get some corn stovers or something straw, something down on the ground. If you do not have a windbreak, try to figure out how to make a windbreak. That could uh, really help these animals out in these uh, trying times when the wind chill drops uh, below 20 degrees. Um, as the the uh, wind picks up and they have a wet hair coat, they need even more grub, more uh, resources, more nutrition to get them through these trying times. Steckler says upping the feed intake is really important. If the cattle are shivering, they're not getting enough food to keep warm. They need to have good, high-quality feedstuffs during this time to keep those the microbial action going and pro- producing the heat. But if they have a wet hair coat and you're not feeding them enough, they'll probably go into shivering. They'll probably quit eating, um, and they'll probably quit drinking water. So keep just keep a good eye on the cattle. The other thing that you want to really do is We're going to have a spring breeding coming up. We need to provide areas for bulls to be able to rest uh, when they lay down. You want to ensure that the scrotums do not get frostbitten or any uh, other areas uh, vital to reproduction. So that could really impact the bull's ability to get your cows pregnant. And Steckler says the primary needs for beef cattle as the temperatures drop are to give them a place to shelter from the wind and to increase their feed rations. Again, that is University of Illinois Extension beef cattle educator, Teresa Steckler. 
Well, there's been a lot of talk about foreign ownership of farmland here in recent months. And foreign ownership of farmland is definitely a concern with some states taking an active role. 3.1% of privately held farmland has foreign ownership, and there is a question of whether it's a national or state-level issue. Director of the National Ag Law Center, Harrison Pittman, says it will be both. And has been for a long time. Um, And, you know, those lines are kind of shifting around. States have certainly become more active uh, from a historical perspective than than they have been in, in recent decades. Um, but there are a number of federal proposals. A couple of states have already taken action when it comes to blocking or prohibiting foreign ownership of farmland. Pittman points to a Syngenta plot in Arkansas. With the company owned by ChemChina, it faced action by the state. Not all these state laws are, are the same. I don't think you could even describe them as having a uniformity. Um, and interestingly, Arkansas was a state that had neither a grandfather clause uh, and it didn't have a research exception, which a lot of these laws do. And Pittman says it's likely that foreign ownership of farmland will be addressed in the farm bill, but it will be difficult to find a political consensus. A lot of these depend on these proposals would depend on USDA taking a much more active role. But to do that, they're going to need a lot of resources and they're going to have to add a lot of people, which is money. And so you may have people that think it's a terrific idea, but they may not think it's a terrific idea at the same time to expand USDA in that way. Again, that's Harrison Pittman, director of the National Ag Law Center. Well, agricultural and business trends to think about this decade include the green movement and pushback against those efforts. Dr. David Cole, professor emeritus of agricultural finance and small business management and entrepreneurship at Virginia Tech, says some countries are moving away from the green movement. Yeah, I think one of the things that you're starting to see, particularly in the Netherlands, it's called green lash. In other words, people are lashing back at the green energy movement. Particularly, there's inconsistent policies going on around the world. India and China are adding coal-fired plants, while other nations are, you know, the green initiatives. And when economies get tight, people uh, go back to the pocketbook. And so the term green lash, I think we're going to hear more and more of that. And and again, artificial intelligence, it kind of goes through an infatuation stage and then goes through the disillusionment stage. Same thing with green energy. So it's going to be interesting to watch that one play out. For agriculture, Dr. Cole explains what to consider. I think one of the things we've got to be really careful on the green energy uh, is that, you know, a number of farms have been approached, you know, to put up some or do some green energy initiatives. My whole contention is, is it still going to be profitable after the government subsidies are gone? So I think you have to look at each, each farm ranch has to look at their specific situation, but also look in the long term to see if it's going to be sustainable and viable uh, and be what we call in the black without all the subsidies. Again, that's Dr. David Cole from Virginia Tech. Well, a new poll from AgriPulse and Stradivation Group finds that farmers and ranchers support electing Donald Trump to another term as president. The effort shows 39% of surveyed farmers say they would most likely vote for Trump, while 19% indicated they would vote for Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Just 8% of surveyed farmers say they would vote for President Joe Biden. Of the 605 farmers that participated in the survey, 61% identified as Republicans, with 45% of that group favoring Trump. 
Now, 10% of the survey participants identified as Democrats, with 62% of those farmers supporting Biden. Another 18% of farmers identified as independents. Stradivation Group conducted the study between December 14th and 22nd, including farmers and ranchers from the Midwest, South, and California. The first presidential primary vote comes Monday as Republicans hold the Iowa caucus. Well, U.S. wheat imports are forecasted to be at their highest in six years for the 23-24 marketing year, according to USDA's Economic Research Service. Consecutive years of drought in key U.S. growing regions of hard red winter wheat have tapered U.S. output, elevating domestic prices. Millers have sought less expensive sources, including competitively priced wheat from the European Union. U.S. imports of hard red winter wheat, mostly from the EU, for the 23-24 marketing year are at 25 million bushels, a record high, and up from 5 million bushels from 22-23's marketing year. This trade flow is atypical as U.S. wheat imports are normally driven by hard red spring and Durham wheat from neighboring Canada. Now, in the 2017-18 marketing year, imports from Canada of both classes of wheat were elevated because of drought-related supply issues in the United States. While the U.S. imports of hard red winter wheat are elevated in this 23-24 marketing year, imports of soft red winter and white wheat are relatively close to normal levels. Well, the Federal Communications Commission plans to start winding down the Affordable Connectivity Program as funding for the effort dries up. The FCC has emphasized the need for additional funding for the program, and the White House recently made an additional funding request to Congress for $6 billion to keep the program going. With less than four months before the projected program end date and without any immediate additional funding, this week the commission expects to begin taking steps to start winding down the program to give households, providers, and other stakeholders sufficient time to prepare. FCC Chair Jessica Rosenworcel says in a letter to lawmakers, quote, if Congress does not provide additional funding for the ACP in the near future, millions of households will lose the ACP benefit that they use to afford Internet service, end quote. Now, while Congress initially appropriated $14.2 billion for the Affordable Connectivity Program, more funding is needed to keep the program in place. The FCC expects funding to last through April 2024, running out completely in May. And also uh, one other news item here before we run out of time in this segment. CHS Incorporated, the nation's leading agribusiness cooperative, released results for its first quarter this past week, which ended November 30th of 2023. The company reported quarterly net income of $522.9 million compared to $782.6 million in the first quarter of fiscal year 2023. Earnings were strong across all segments, although down from record first quarter earnings in fiscal year 2023. Revenues were $11.4 billion compared to $12.8 billion in the first quarter of fiscal year 2023. Now in the ag segment, continued robust meal and oil demand drove strong earnings in the oilseed processing business for CHS that were offset by weak U.S. export demand for grains and oilseeds. CHS President and CEO Jay Deberton says, quote, We continue to see the benefits of our diversified agriculture and energy portfolio, our strategic footprint and investments in our supply chain, end quote. A CHS reported pre-tax earnings of $169.7 million for agriculture, representing a $117.6 million decrease compared to the prior year period. Again, CHS releasing its first quarter fiscal year 2024 earnings here this week. 
All right, coming up next, we're going to dive into Thursday's market action. Looked like uh, plenty of positioning and consolidation ahead of Friday's big USDA data dump. We're going to get some thoughts and perspective with Brian Doherty, Senior Market Advisor at Total Farm Marketing. He is today's guest analyst, and he joins us on the way after this, back with more Market Talk coming up here right after the break. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. The views and opinions of this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Market information that matters to you on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. Well, largely during Thursday's trading session, it felt like traders were kind of getting the house in order, so to speak, in the grains ahead of USDA's data dump on Friday. We got a lot of reports in front of us. And overall, markets, quarter beans, uh, kind of either side of unchanged when it was all said and done. A little more pressure in the wheat trade. We're going to talk about it, though, get some perspective and set things up ahead of the USDA reports. Joining us now, Brian Doherty, Senior Market Advisor at Total Farm Marketing. Brian, good to talk with you again. And uh, as I mentioned, largely felt like a, a quiet positioning consolidation type trading day on Thursday uh, ahead of the USDA reports, at least in the grains anyway, Brian. That's true. You had about a five to seven cent trading range in the corn futures contracts. And that's a pretty slow day, especially in front of a report. So as we kind of look ahead, the big picture and, and try and you know, anticipate what's what's due out tomorrow, you're going to find that uh, that there's just not a lot of expectation for big changes. So the market needs to focus or will focus its attention elsewhere. So is it South American weather? Is it politics? What's out there? The bottom line is, is just that, you know, we've talked about this before in the corn, at least it looks like farmers just had better crops than expected probably for about 60 to 70% of producers didn't have enough sold. They've got inventory. The end user knows it. It's kind of the bottom line is that the end user's not chasing the market right now. You've got higher interest rates. They don't want to store it. So unfortunately, they're asking the farmer to store corn for them right now. Well, in terms of this corn market, you you were mentioning to me uh, some notes you saw about uh, China's corn crop maybe getting a little bit bigger. That would just add to that world carryout. Uh, a lot of talk about that corn carryout, the world uh, being very, very large, obviously. You look at the U.S. futures here. Uh, so far, we've been holding lows, and I mentioned this to you. I'm, I'm hopeful that with USDA's reports, we don't get something overly bearish that we can at least hold the line, so to speak, in this corn market here, Brian. Right, and some would argue we are. So let, let's go this route. If you take where September futures went off the board, September went off the board in that 462 range, and that consequently left the market with some uh, area of, of uh, uh, let's say, pivot or where the market's going to pivot. Well, December yeah. goes off at 466. Here, March is at 457 and three quarters. Let's just say, call it 460. So it seems to be finding the support near that 450 area or higher. December corn futures did trade under four, 
450 for a small period of time down around 447. Um, but let's just call it that 450 zone. So just kind of scraping along at the bottom. Farmers aren't aggressively selling corn hand over fists at these prices, but they're looking for small advantages. And I'm talking to enough producers who just the logistically, you know, producers are getting bigger. They need to move stuff along the year. They just can't sit on what they've got stored forever and they need to core bins and all of those things that come along with the, with the, let's call it the science of storing grain and when to move it, when to court, you know, keep it dry. Um, it, it's a tough window, but we're consolidating on the cash market and the futures market. One of the fears we talked about before uh, fears I had was that the front months keep drifting down to the, to the, where the last front month went to. Mm-hmm. So that's where we're at. But yeah, the International Grains Council did, uh, didn't did throw us any kind of a positive bone, uh, updated global uh, corn crop forecast by 7 million metric tons. Uh, China's crop, uh, most of it comes from expectations for a larger China crop in the year ahead. Well, I saw a headline on social media that China's out there as well looking to refill their reserves. Now, we haven't seen China in here with a flash sale for U.S. commodities in a while. We did get a flash sale Thursday morning, corn to Mexico, a good traditional buyer stepping back into the market. But um, to that point, you know, China's been pretty absent and really a lot of folks have been absent from buying U.S. grains here as of late. So that demand picture is looking kind of rough heading into a key report as well, Brian. It is. And and keep in mind the numbers I gave to you are mentioned on China's 23-24 so that we're in the 23-24 marketing year. So basically what what we're looking to head to grow. It's not in the bin yet. The safrina crop's not in the bin, but you can't put a lot of pencil to declining the safrina crop out of South America's as well. So it's just uh, it's just kind of unfortunate that when, when we look at all of the sort of variables that might impact the price of corn. Earlier in the year, there was a lot of talk about crude oil prices. I remember Goldman Sachs talked about $90, $100 crude oil prices. Well, that would have provided support for corn most likely. And here we're down around 70, 72. So you just don't have that big number out there in the crude oil. And then um, yields are better than expected on and on and on. Um, These things have a tendency to kind of ebb and flow. I don't know if the world's ever quite been in a position though where you see the potential for excess inventories uh, in multi-continent areas where it could be South America, it could be the US. Um, It's a bigger global gluts you know, situation that may be at hand, but I still, I still will contend demand is out there, Jesse. It's in a different form. It's in a buy as you need form, rather than buy ahead and make sure you have it. If China is buying U.S. corn, there's probably smart to stockpile some inventory in case they have less than ideal weather. Well, let's flip the conversation to soybeans, and I think we could tie this in as well here. Um, Soybeans wise, there's a much tighter balance sheet on the U.S. here heading into this report. There is some chatter of maybe some problems with this Brazil crop with the heat and dryness we saw. I know Conab lowered their numbers. I'm not expecting USDA to make as sharp of a cut as Conab did, though. Uh, but your thoughts on, on soybeans it feels like a bit of a tighter picture and a slightly different story than corn heading into these reports, Brian. I think that the the story could be maybe more than slightly different because unlike corn, you, you come into this year with 2.1 billion bushels of carryouts. That's a very adequate cushion. Soybeans around 250, 245 million. 
that's not an adequate cushion if you have any disruption along the way. And Brazil has had some disruption. Now, they also increased acres. So if you take what their disruption is, uh, you could argue between Argentina and Brazil, you're still looking at a net right now, maybe of a couple million metric tons more out of the Southern hemisphere because of the rebound in Argentina, despite what could be a Brazilian crop. The wild card is what this Brazilian crop is, the USDA will likely lower uh, in line with CONAP, but it, we, we kind of know the USDA doesn't really like to make big swiping cuts. And so we're not expecting any significant numbers that are gonna shock the market. Oh, it's always a potential, but we're not expecting that. But it's some of these fringe numbers we start to hear people whisper about in the under 150 and maybe under 140 million metric tons. If that has any bearing, then the bean market had set itself up for a bull run. But there's no confirmation of that yet. And that's weeks away or months away. What you're hearing is some early harvest results that have been disappointing. And I think some traders are trying to extrapolate that to more of a general crop. I'm not necessarily convinced that's the case. Well, Brian, uh, obviously, we don't have a whole lot of time ahead of these USDA reports now. But uh, for folks who are looking at things any thoughts, risk management? I know this too. You and I have talked about this. You told me this many times. One day doesn't make a trend. Uh, so we we got to you know think about a risk management here, but also look at the bigger picture. What would you tell folks heading into a very pivotal report day that can be pretty volatile initially when we get those numbers? I, I would I would just remind people, I know this is very elementary, but I, I'm looking at the March uh, soybean contract. So let's start with that good consolidation the last four days, looking like the market's trying to hold, let's say this 1235 area, right? Um, but this particular contract has seen much lower levels down to a, a low last May of 1145. And so all of a sudden 1235 looks a lot better than 12 than 1150 or some, some level like that. There's no sign this downtrend is over. If, if the market feels confident that the Brazilian and Argentine crops are there, again, the problem is end users are only buy only what they need and where they can get the deal. And so my bias would be go into this report. If you want to be friendly, that's fine. But why not be friendly with an insurance contract? Maybe buy a, a very short-term put option and or buy a very short-term uh, um, short-dated option, which is based off of November for new crop. Uh, to get you through the reports. You're not spending an arm and a leg, but you're doing something to ward off what nobody would want to see. And that would be some sort of a bearish surprise and bearish reaction. Or sometimes you get a neutral report and a bearish reaction. The worst is you get a bullish report and a bearish reaction. And so um, those are all things that um, in a downtrend like this, they worry me. Uh, so that's what I look at beans and in corn. I think we're probably trying to go into that sideways pattern. There is not quite as concerned right now, but from a bigger picture perspective, I would do the same thing. Look at some kind of put buying, some kind of a option fence, something to, to defend this. Uh, this idea that you know it's gone low enough that that's not good risk management. Um, it, it could backfire. I know I'm asking people to spend money after the markets have been down, but it might be money well spent for peace of mind and for actual price protection. 
Well, once again, we are joined today by Brian Doherty with Total Farm Marketing. Brian's going to stick with us uh, for the final segment here. Keep it up. We're going to look at wheat. We'll also look at livestock and dairy trade here before we wrap up the program. Some of the final numbers from Thursday's session. Uh, real quick, March corn was down one at three quarters, 457 at three quarters. July corn down two at a quarter, 479. Soybeans, March unchanged, 1236 and a half. July three quarters higher, 1256. March bean meal down 210 a ton 362.20 march beet oil up 47 points 48.72 march chicago wheat seven lower 603 and three quarters march kc wheat down eight and a half 616 march spring wheat down seven to three quarters seven dollars even february live cattle 105 higher 171.80 april up 90 174.57 january feeder cattle 165 higher 22627 March up 127 22740 February hogs up 52 7260 April lean hogs 10 higher 7905 Let's recap some of the closes from Thursday we'll continue our conversation with Brian Doherty from Total Farm Marketing coming up next here on Market Talk Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. The market news and analysis you need here on Market Talk. Now back to Jesse Allen. We're having a conversation today with Brian Doherty from Total Farm Marketing. Brian, uh, a couple notes uh, that you have in the wheat markets as well. I know a little more pressure there on the day Thursday. Obviously, going to get a lot of wheat numbers as well. I think we got canola, small grain seedings numbers too coming out Friday. I saw this headline though. It was kind of interesting. U.S. wheat imports have reached a six-year high. That's kind of atypical as well i don't know if you saw that headline too but just uh, some interesting caveats here on this wheat trade heading into the report day as well yeah interesting that that the imports are up though keep in mind they're a very small percentage of the overall supply of wheat and most of that probably comes in from canada and often is more a reflection of whether canada has a better crop or extra bushels more toward the border or it needs to make its way into the country but yeah here's the bigger problem you're going to see with the wheat is that but it's been dismissive of, of concerns of the war. It keeps looking at Russia as just this pot of wheat that doesn't seem to end. Ukraine, uh, the Grains Council edged their crop a little bit higher, edged Russia's crop a little bit higher for wheat. And and consequently, those are things that are, are problematic to sustain a rally. Wheat prices are still holding a good solid 50 plus cents in Chicago above their recent low. They flared mm-hmm. out here. Um, but I think they had a miss. And what I mean by that is they had a really nice, beautiful pennant formation. Uh, it's a chart formation and an upswing. You got what they call a flagpole. The market started to show breakout to the top side here about two and a half weeks ago, and then it failed. So it's like the other markets here. We we just don't have that follow through buying. I, I think it would take a shocker on the report tomorrow somewhere to, to all of a sudden turn wheat into a bull. So if in doubt there, I'm selling a little bit more cash uh i'm i'm only i always tell my customers if you know how to do it you're only a phone call away from owning something you don't have to own it in a bin and or consider ford contracting some new crop yeah good thoughts in the weeds uh over in livestock uh, decent day thursday in cattle and hogs had another update there too 
I know we'll get some uh, various numbers for the protein sector with uh, the USDA reports out on Friday as well, and then some of the grain numbers could have an impact too in the market direction. Uh, any notes over in cattle and hogs here as we head into report day, Brian? Well, as you said, we're, we're getting to that time of year where just a lot of data dump and a lot of numbers, but the bottom line is you've got a winter storm system pushing through much of the Midwest that likely provides some underlying support for cattle, although the market really hasn't had much response. It was up today, but if you look at where cattle prices have been the last, let's say several days or on the deferred months, maybe last several weeks, they haven't moved much. Now, the good news is they haven't really gone down. So if I look at something like the April Jess, we're, we're 174.57 there, uh, the market bottomed at 165. So we're still solid $9, but we're up against the upper Bollinger Band, the 50-day moving average, some of those things there. So again, I think put options are a viable alternative to floor the market. Try and leave that top side open. We're, we're getting into that winter weather now that starts to have some impact and maybe some shift in weather patterns and weight gain will be uh, perhaps a little bit less than it's been here as of late. And consequently, that it should provide underlying support. Uh, the key is the cash market. So what, what's what's with cash? Is the consumer buying or not? Well, inflation ticked up a little bit today. We saw that. And that leaves the idea of higher interest rates. You know, we don't like that from the consumer who's spending money on credit card debt and interest rates. On the other hand, uh, it tells us the economy still seems to be kind of chugging along, maybe better than most have thought. Unemployment remains low. So just hard to draw a conclusion to be negative cattle uh, when they're trading a good solid $20, $25 off their recent highs. Yeah, that's uh, some interesting things to think about here. And cash, you're right. I have uh, Cash has been interesting to me here, and especially the winter storm uh, moving through. I think that's going to have a, a pretty big sizable impact here to round out the week and in next week too dairy uh, a lot of red over the dairy parlor it looks like on thursday any notes for us there brian yeah we had uh, so so today we started our fourth day up a good surge i think a lot of short covering because the market was down so hard and then today is one of those typical days in a bear market in a in in, in indicative of a bear market where you get a good start this morning and start higher on the front months and all of a sudden here we are 35 points lower that's a lot. Of, that's a lot. So just to put some numbers in perspective, 35 points in the dairy market, if you look at percentage changes, but I just want to put in dollar changes, each point's 20 bucks. So 35 times 20 is $700. That'd be like a, a you know, a 14 cent move in soybeans. Just a real disappointing day is what that mm -hmm. is. Um, and that's, that's discouraging. Now, th that being said, we want to believe that while there's always downside risk, that prices have moved low enough in the front months and the back months agree with us because they're still holding above 18, that that we should see market clearing forces come into play. Where I am personally perplexed a little bit is why the cheese market was so soft into this holiday season and why that seemed to be something that was on sale and nobody was really grasping for it. That's not typical. So... That concerns me. I'm not so sure it's a supply issue. We've concerned ourselves that big production producers get bigger and they continue to, to provide supply and they try and outproduce poor markets. Um, but mm, I can't believe that the demand hasn't cycled back better. So one, it makes me believe that there's a bunch of pent up demand and that the uh, the, the retailers and the, and the cheese 
it'll bring prices down to a point where all of a sudden it just starts to pick up. So maybe it's a little bit more hopeful wishing, wishing here, but I, I think that's an undervalued market. I don't think we're uh, we're seeing the dairy industry uh, grow to the point where we're going to stay in a sustained downtrend. Brian, good thoughts as always. Anything final for us before we wrap it up here today? Um, like anything, we're into a new year, so uh, keep your marketing pencil sharp. It's a little more challenging. I, it's no shortage of producers that have kind of, uh, let's say, opened up to me and said, yeah, you know, I it's pretty easy the last year or two. I had high prices. There wasn't a lot of thought that necessarily had to go into it. Now, I take them back to when they're making decisions to sell. It's always some stress, but but to their point, it was a higher value. Now is the time where we really have to kind of push a pencil to it, look at all the different strategies and kind of put on that real sharp business hat and see what might work best uh, for you or what your risk tolerances look like. And if you need to change those and if you need to change money flow and, and, and just take a good look at all the alternatives that are uh, available. There aren't any easy answers, especially in the grains right now, but there are still some answers. Brian Doherty with Total Farm Marketing. Brian, we're out of time. Thanks for joining us. And by the way, go Pack Go for the playoffs this weekend. <laughs> yeah, go Pack Go for the playoffs, right? So we're, uh, we're hoping for that. With that, Brian Doherty, Total Farm Marketing. We're out of time. I'm Jesse Allen. Thanks for listening to Market Talk.